0: Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you're with. I'm so very glad that you have joined us for this teaching this weekend. I hope that you had an awesome Thanksgiving. Hope you had plenty to eat. You know, I took a little trip uh, yesterday with a number of people that are staying at our home. And when we returned uh, last night, our neighbor uh, had had his uh, home professionally decked out for the season, uh, it looked glorious. looked like it was out of a Better Homes magazine. And uh, I got to tell you, my first thought was, uh, "I'm not doing anything to our home because <laughs> it would end up looking like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree." Uh, but uh, you know, after I enjoyed uh, the ambiance coming from his home for a few minutes, I thought, uh, "What a wonderful entry into the season!" I can't wait to get there myself. I hope that you're. Uh, you're ready for it. Uh, you know, if you're out and about during the month of December, I'd love to have you join us uh, every Sunday uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. We're going to do a happy hour, uh, seasonal music, goodies, a time hanging out with each other before we start our service at 10 a.m. And uh, then, of course, uh, looking ahead, uh, we're looking forward to a wonderful Christmas Eve gathering that'll be here on Sunday. Uh, December 24th, uh, both at 4 and 6 p.m. But for today, I want to introduce to you the the teaching series that we're going to be in throughout the month of December. It's called Put the Mary Back in Your Christmas. Uh, Put the Mary back in your Christmas. And you know, when the the first Christmas was announced uh, that God had sent his son into the world, it was proclaimed as good news of great joy for all people. And uh, so often, uh, that experience of joy, well-being, happiness, uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas, it kind of gets shoved uh, to the outskirts of our experience. And we're going to look at uh, kind of the different events surrounding uh, the first Christmas and and look at how God wants to usher us back in uh, to a happy and joyful, a merry experience of the holidays and uh, Christmas itself. And uh, today, as we're in between Thanksgiving, the month of December, uh, the message is going to be kind of a prologue to that series. In fact, uh, I want to kind of refresh you on what a prologue to a story uh, really is. Here's how a prologue is defined. It's an introductory section of a story that comes before The main narrative, it kind of sets the stage uh, for the story. It provides background information about the characters, the setting, the events. And then this, uh, I think, this important aspect of the definition, the term itself, prologue, uh, comes from the Greek word prologos, which means before the word. And if you're a follower of Christ, you know that he is the word of God that has come into the world uh, you know, uh, as we uh, began to set the stage uh, for the month of December uh, to celebrate, open our hearts in a fresh way to the, the coming, the revelation of God through the person of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, uh, there was a great prologue before the birth of Christ. In fact, uh, this prologue uh, was about 400 years long. Uh, some people refer to it as the period of silence uh, between uh, the end of the Old Testament when the prophet Malachi kind of verbalized uh, the last prophetic statements about God's work in his people. And that was followed by 400 years where uh, God's people didn't hear much from him. You talk about an extended prologue that set the stage for the coming of Christ. And, you know, some things about that time period, it was more than just silent Uh, for the people of Israel. It was a time of defeat. And devastation and despair, and disappointment. And uh, in particular, there were two tribes of the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. They were the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. And uh, they were kind of on the northern end of the promised land. If you think about uh, the Sea of Galilee and the, the uh, uh, promised land situated around there, well, on the north end, uh, there were these two uh, brothers who were given their portion of the promised land, the family of Naphtali, the family of Zebulun, and uh, they, was, they were kind of uh, the sad sacks of the family. Uh, they didn't exactly experience blessing and prosperity. In fact, uh, they kind of experienced uh, a lot of defeat. Much of it they brought on themselves. You know, as I think about that period of silence one of the Christmas songs that we uh, sing a lot and enjoy, kind of the mystery of it all, called O Holy Night. And uh, this particular line says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. You may not use that word pining much, but it means they weren't doing too well. We weren't doing too well before the coming of Christ. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And, uh, you know, kind of as Isaiah, the prophet, one of those uh, latter prophets in the Old Testament, as he looked out into the future, he not only saw this uh, period of, of uh, defeat, and devastation, period of silence, but he saw beyond. He saw the coming of the word of God into the world. And uh, as Isaiah kind of spoke about this long-term view of the history of God's people and uh, the history of salvation in our world, here's how he described what the Spirit of God was showing him. He says uh, there will come a time when there's no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land. Here's these two brothers, Zebulun, and he humbled the land of Naphtali. Uh, but in the future, there's, uh, things are going to change he will honor a Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And I want to read to you the rest of this prologue as we get in to the Christmas story. This is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. He goes on. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. This is quite a reversal from what uh, Nebulun and Zaphtali, those tribes, were experiencing. You've enlarged the nation, and you've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest. Good things are happening as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Why is this uh, uh, time of rejoicing at hand? For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. There's going to be a new experience of freedom and well-being. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. In other words, the, uh, the, the uh, weapons of their torment are going to be uh, put to an end. They will be as fuel for the fire. And that here's what Isaiah sees is going to bring about this dramatic change in their experience of God. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. In other words, he'll be authoritative, and he will be called uh, this wonderful name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Uh, You know, uh, back to this idea of a prologue, Uh, these two uh, particular uh, areas of Israel, the land of Nebulun, the land of Naphtali, uh, if anything uh, characterized uh, what they were about, it would be two kind of general categories. Uh, One would be compromise, and the other would be defeat. Uh, In other words, their disposition, as you read about these two particular tribes throughout the Old Testament, is they weren't necessarily looking to how they could be really right with God. They were looking to how much they could get away with and not be on the wrong side of God. And that disposition opened the door for their enemies to plunder them. And so they kind of became representative of a people who want to be associated with God but don't really see the, the fullness that comes from pursuing his will, walking in his ways, and uh, what they experienced in this extended prologue time of defeat, being marginalized, being uh, seen not so much as God's blessed people as a defeated, uh, you know, gloomy uh, sort of uh, existence without him. And uh, here's uh, kind of how I'd characterize. That 400-year period, at least for this part of God's promised land experience, uh, prologues are not usually good times. (laughs) They're not really times of fullness and celebration and well-being and joy. In fact, here's the words that the prophet Isaiah uses as he describes this period, uh, this period of silence and separation from God. It's a time of gloom. It's a time of distress. It's a time of walking in darkness. It's a time of living in deep darkness. And uh, here's really kind of what brings this idea as we anticipate the coming of Christ, as we look ahead to the month of December. Uh, The truth of the matter is all of us have prologues in our lives, uh, seasons of our lives that could be characterized by gloom, by distress, by defeat, uh, by walking in darkness and in deep darkness. In fact, I look at my own life uh, before uh, the light of Christ came in to my world, and all of those words would describe my reality. And, uh, you know, maybe that's true for you right now. Uh, maybe rather than uh, experiencing uh, the promise of God's blessing in his fullness, uh, you've kind of wandered uh, into an experience of God where it feels more like defeat, feels more like uh, despair. You're kind of wondering, you know, where's the favor of God? Where's the blessing of God? Where's the power and the might in my experience of God that breaks the yoke and brings me into an experience of freedom? Uh, you know, I heard a, a song when I first became a follower of Christ, and I resonated with it. It was by a guy named Keith Green. Uh, here's what he said about the prologue in his life before uh, the light of God came into his world through Christ. He said it was like waking up from the longest dream. And uh, as he thought back to this time in his life, how real it seemed, the things he pursued and filled his life with, uh, until your love broke through, penetrated, popped my bubble, you know, pulled the blinders away, from my eyes and remove the veil from my heart, how real it all seemed until your love broke through. I was lost in a fantasy that blinded me until your love broke through. And uh, I would just encourage you to kind of join me as we uh, anticipate the coming of Christ in acknowledging this reality. Let's be honest here. We all make choices that invite and extend our periods of darkness. We all go through seasons where we distance ourselves from the favor of God, the love of God, finding and yielding to the will of God so we can experience his abundance. Uh, you know, uh, Paul, the apostle, uh, spoke of this period where we're anticipating the freedom that Christ brings. Here's how he wrote about it. He said that before we came into a wonderful worshipful relationship with Jesus. We were underage. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Hear that; those poignant words again uh, before we came into that freedom of Christ. We were in slavery under the elemental forces of this world. It's like a fantasy that blinded me. Uh, But when the set time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, uh, to redeem, uh, to release, uh, to uh, liberate those who are living under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Uh, You know, when Jesus uh, introduced the beginning of his ministry of freedom, liberation, he returned to Isaiah chapter 9. In fact, he, uh, he mentions the very part of the world that experienced so much defeat during this prologue period, this 400-year period, we're told that when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, the very land of Zebulun and Naphtali. leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, this place of defeat. And he did this to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, living in defeat and despair. A light has dawned, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Well, I want to end this prologue message, kind of prepping our hearts to be, become that much more open to the revelation of God through the person of Jesus Christ and kind of put it in these terms. How would you describe that light when he stepped into your world? How would you describe the light of day that came when you open your heart to Jesus, this one that Isaiah saw would come and move us beyond that season of gloom and distress and despair and hopelessness and into a better and fuller experience of God. Well, here's the words Uh, Isaiah describes uh, this uh, coming of God's light into our darkness. He says, for to us... A child is born Uh, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, uh, here's how you could say uh, the promise of Isaiah is fulfilled uh, in our lives. Uh, Jesus turns my darkness to dawn uh, when I do this. And number one, when I welcome His governance, the government's on His shoulders. In other words, I say, uh, Lord, I understand uh, You're not You're not an everyday, uh, you know, religious figure. You are God in the flesh, and I open my life to being directed by You. I don't want to do my own thing. I want to find Your good and Your perfect way. And so we welcome His governments. And number two, we invite His counsel. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. In other words, he he gets us. He knows what makes us tick. He knows how life should work. And we experience his light and his truth when we invite his counsel into all the complicated details of our lives. Number three, we ask him to be mighty in our lives. He'll be called Mighty God. And we say, Lord, uh, I need an experience of your power in the everyday circumstance of my life. Number four, we embrace him as our father. He'll be called, uh, you know, Father God. And uh, we say, Jesus, thank you for revealing the father to me, and I want to live as one of his chosen and privileged children. And then finally, uh, we receive him as our prince of peace. He will be called the prince of peace. He's the one... uh, personality who can uh, bring uh, calm, harmony, and a sense of communion with God and order into our world because that is his very nature. Well, would you pray with me? Uh, God, thank you uh, for the seasons of our calendar. When we uh, go through uh, our routines, we uh, observe our holidays, and we want to thank you as we anticipate this Christmas season, be reminded that uh, the very first uh, Christmas when the Son of God was born into our darkened world, uh, there was a prologue, there was a time of humbling, there was a time of defeat, there was a time of difficulty. And, uh, Lord, many of us, uh, hearing these words, would characterize our lives that way. It's a season of uh, waiting, season of hoping. Uh, perhaps, Lord, like those two tribes There's 400 years of defeat as they went through this succession. First it was the Babylonians, then it was the Persians, then it was the Greeks, then it was the Romans. And after all of those uh, defeats, you uh, anticipated a time when you would bring victory to them. Lord, uh, if any are hearing this message, they would look at the last several years of their lives, perhaps their entire life, and say, you know, I've had my share of defeat. I think I'm ready for some victory uh, to be lifted up. Lord, thank you. That's why you came. We welcome you, Lord Jesus, and we ask that by your spirit uh, you would lay the groundwork uh, for this unfolding narrative, this story of your coming, and we welcome you in the mighty name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.